The information provided on this podcast is not legal advice and is intended for the sole purpose of providing education and legal information. Laws change over time, and the information provided on this podcast may not be up to date. We make no warranty, express or implied, regarding the information provided by our team or our guests on this podcast. The information should not be construed as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with us or any of our guests on the podcast. If you would like to consult with an attorney, please call 1-800-VICTIMS. That's 1-800-842-8467 for attorney referral contact information. This podcast provides a platform for the exchange of ideas and information to help educate crime victims on their rights. Some content will include topics and materials that may involve descriptions of violence or assaults, which can be distressing to victims and survivors. It may also impact service providers experiencing vicarious trauma. This is Season 2 of Knowledge is Power, Victim to Survivor, a podcast series where we help crime victims understand their rights so they can go from victims to survivors. On this episode, we'll discuss the California Victim Compensation Board. Welcome in, everyone. It's me again, your humble host, Nima Malavi, with the Victims of Crime Resource Center. And today, it's my pleasure to welcome in Linda Gledhill into the podcast. Linda is the Executive Officer of the California Victim Compensation Board. Linda, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast here today. Thank you for having me. So what I'd like to do, Linda, is start by asking you about the California Victim Compensation Board, or CalVCB. Could you tell me a little bit about CalVCB's history, its, its goals, its, its mission? Absolutely. Uh, CalVCB dates to 1965. That was the year that California created the first victim compensation program in the nation. And our primary mission is to um, administer the program, which provides reimbursement for crime-related expenses to victims in the state of California. Uh, that includes any unforeseen expenses uh, that are the result of a violent crime, physical injury, threat of physical injury from a violent crime. And our goal is really to make sure that the victims of the state of California know that there are resources available to them. For myself, I started at the organization at the beginning of 2020, and my goal really is to to increase our outreach to victims, to let them know that we're here to help them, and to make sure that our help is easily accessible to them in whatever form that that is for them. We want to make sure that they don't have to do a lot of work to receive the help that they need. We mm. want to be able to help them as, as quickly and smoothly as possible. So I also understand that CalVCB is a, a payer of last resort. Can, can you tell me exactly what that means, payer of last resort? Yes, it means that um, we we will cover expenses that aren't covered through some other means. Um, so that could be, um, you know, things like medical or dental or vision insurance, other pro- public programs um, such as Medi-Cal, um, auto insurance, uh, workers' comp benefits, um, or even civil lawsuits. So depending on what the nature of the crime is and what other resources the victim might have, um, those resources come first, and then we're there to, to cover expenses that, that they're unable to, to cover through some other means. So if someone's insurance would only cover up to a certain amount and then there were maybe additional expenses, perhaps that's where CalVCB might come into play? Correct. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, then, or if they you know, have, are, are just uninsured, right? right? And so a lot of the folks that we help um, don't have any other means of reimbursement for some of the expenses that they're facing. Got it. So the payer of last resort means that CalVCB will, will come to compensate if there are no other sources available, essentially. Correct. Okay, that makes sense. 
And I just want to say it's important that victims are tell us about those um, other sources up front. We will work with victims to make sure that, you know, we cover what's not being covered in some other way. But it is possible that if we later learn um, that there was other monies available to the victim that we that we, you know, we have to um, collect back. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, it's just being a good financial steward of the fund is important to us. We want to help victims um, who really need our help. Got it. So it's an, it, the message would be it's important for crime victims to sort of be upfront and um, and communicate with maybe other um, sources of of, uh, of payment for some of these expenses. Exactly. Okay. So Linda, let, let's talk about the um, eligibility requirements. Uh, could could you tell me what what um, what are the requirements to make someone eligible to receive um, benefits from Calvis? Yeah. Uh, yes, they have to be the victim of a qualifying crime, which includes um, physical injury, threat of physical injury. There are a handful of cases where emotional injury, um, this comes up in pornography a lot, um, can be considered um, a compensatable um, crime. Um, and then, of course, there's, um, you know, family members can be compensated potentially um, as well. Um, but, you know, so the most common crimes that we cover include domestic violence, uh, sexual assault, physical assault, homicide, um, drunk driving, um, stalking. Um, some of those crimes are the most common that we see. Okay, and now you, now you did mention family members might um, sometimes qualify. Let, let's maybe get into that a little bit deeper. Could you tell me the difference between uh, what a direct victim is and then what a derivative victim is? Of course. A direct victim is, of course, the person who was... A, you know, personally impacted by the, the individual who was the victim of the crime, the direct victim. Um, a derivative victim is a um, somebody who has a relationship um, and suffers a loss as a result of the injury or death of the victim. So it could be um, often it's a parent, a child, um, a spouse, somebody who um, is impacted by the crime directly. So can, can both direct and derivative victims receive benefits from CalVCB? Yes, they can. Um, usually the um, derivative victims are eligible for mental health, funeral burial, expenses, support loss, um, sometimes some medical expenses or uh, home improvement, uh, home security improvements. So they absolutely um, both can receive benefits. Okay, and now let's talk about um, the qualification aspect. What are the factors that influence whether a particular application either qualifies or does not qualify for receiving uh, compensation? So, um, so there's a couple things. Um, so you have to be a California resident, right? Or if you're a non-resident, um, um, or the crime must have occurred in California. So, so there's a, a geography, right? Mm -hmm. um, you have to have cooperated reasonably with police and court officials, um, and and you have to cooperate with our staff, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be responsive to us if we have questions or need further information. You need to be able to provide that. Um, and so, and also, our statute of limitations is currently seven years. So the crime has to have happened within the past seven years. Um, or if you're a direct victim who's a minor, um, with once you turn 21, you have seven years um, mm. to file your application. Um, and then um, the other factors, you know, obviously we have to qualify, you know, make sure that there's a qualifying crime that happened, um, and that you, that that all. The, and, and as I mentioned earlier, um, that there aren't any other. 
um, means for which you might be compensated for the crime, for the pain. Yeah. And I know you mentioned in the last, uh, sort of the last answer that qualifying crimes are um, physical injury, threat of physical injury, and then in some cases, emotional injury. So there has to be all of those components must be in place, right? One or some of those, yes, any of those are components. So it doesn't have to be all of them, but um, but you want, but there needs to be uh, some sort of injury, I guess is the way to say that. Okay. And so let's talk about the the types of expenses that that qualify for compensation. Could you maybe give give us an an idea about what are some of the most common expenses? Yes. The most common are um, medical related. um, So the doctor's bills, hospitalizations. Uh, mental health treatment um, is is common, and funeral burial. Um, those are probably our most common um, expenses that we pay for. We also do pay some income loss, um, and also um, home security, um, especially in cases of domestic violence. Um, relocation is another expense mm-hmm. if for either a domestic violence incident or perhaps um, you know other cases where the cr- person um, is not no longer feel safe in their own home. And then we'll, we'll pay up to $2,000 of relocation expenses. Um, there are some other ones. The legislature recently passed a law mm-hmm. that allows us to pay for veterinary fees for um, if a guide dog or a service dog um, needs is um, injured in some way or, or stolen or killed, then we will pay up to $1,000 um, to uh, replace, the, replace the service dog. Okay, now, now, Linda, you mentioned uh, as one of the um, expenses that will qualify for compensation being income loss. Could you expand on that a little bit and tell us a little bit about um, what kind of income loss qualifies and, and how that works? Yes, if a victim of a crime, of a qualifying crime, is no longer able to work as a direct result of that crime, then we can pay an income loss up to five years following the date of the crime. This really happens when the victim is permanently disabled, um, then it potentially that can be extended. But remember, there's a maximum cap to all of our benefits of $70,000. So all of this goes up to $70,000. We do require um, a tax form to sh- show proof of the income mm-hmm. um, in order to qualify. Um, and then for a parent or a legal guardian of a minor victim who is either hospitalized or um, unfortunately dies as the direct result of a crime, we will pay up to 30 days of, inc- of wage loss for that parent or legal guardian. 30 days. And then could you maybe expand upon um, some of the more common reasons why an application might be denied? Sure. Um, so we um, obviously we need proof that there was a crime that occurred, right? So that is mm-hmm. most often takes the form of a police report. Mm-hmm. There are a few exceptions to that, but that is the primary way um, that we determine that a crime took place. Um, if a person is on parole, probation, or registered as a sex offender, they are not el- eligible for our crime. And as I mentioned earlier, um, there's a time limit, right? It has to be within the last seven years. And there's no, um, you're, you're not allowed under our rules to be involved in the crime. Mm-hmm. So if there's um, any sense that you know there was involvement, then that would be um, that would be a disqualifying factor. That makes sense. Thank you, Linda. Uh, so could you help me understand what the timeline looks like for um, for receiving um, compensation? So for example, if the crime occurs, um, you know, let's say today. And then, then what does the timeline look like for, you know, submitting the application for it being processed and then having either a decision, an approval decision or a denial decision? How does that work? 
Sure. So the application process in total um, takes three to six months. Um, we're working on trying to uh, tighten up that process timeline. The application um, can be um, filed. As soon as the application is filed, it begins the process. The key is, as I mentioned earlier, determining that the crime took place. So, you know, the, and as we often said, that is most often a police report. Um, and sometimes that takes a little bit of time for either us or the victim to um, get a hold of because the police are obviously very busy. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the key elements that we um, try to work with law enforcement up and down the state to make sure we're able to gather the necessary evidence. Um, and also we need all of the documentation that we ask for. And that includes bills. Your application can be approved. Um, you will receive pay, we pay based on bills that we receive. So we actually need the bills from either your medical provider, maybe your mental health, mm -hmm. the home security equipment, whatever the whatever the expenses that you're looking to have covered. Um, once we get those bills, then we make the determination was the expense related to the crime, mm -hmm. um, and then then we can begin the payment process. Okay, now, now Linda, when you say it, it's based um, sort of on bills received. Um, could that also include like a receipt or a reimbursement? It can. We will take a receipt um, for, for instance, home security or something like that. Um, we often work directly with some um, folks as well. So that's very common in funeral burial where mm -hmm. we will pay directly um, and to the funeral um, home if that's what's necessary. Um, but uh, yes, receipts for um We'll take copy. We'll take receipts from, for instance, mental health or medical providers, and then reimburse the victim for those expenses. So, can we talk about um, if a victim submits their application through the DA's office? Will that help expedite the timeline at all? Specifically, the uh, a victim witness assistance center in any of the counties. Uh, we have we have um, people in some of the counties who um, work directly with us to help process applications. Um, you know, we're hoping it shouldn't take, it shouldn't change how quickly the application um, is processed. Mm -hmm. uh, it's possible that the folks in the counties will have better access or more direct access to some of the documentation that's needed mm -hmm. or will help the victim fill out the application so that it's more complete upon arrival. Um, but in general, uh, all applications are processed uh, the same way and, and should be on the same time frame. Okay, what I want to do now is, is transition to talking about emergency expenses. Could you tell uh, our audience what are emergency expenses and how does one, how does a victim qualify to receive them? Yes, emergency expenses is a reimbursement that may be allowed when it's been determined that there would be a substantial hardship if, if the expense was not paid right away and where there's an immediate need for payment. Um, these um, usually... Or include the necessities of life, which, um, you know, shelter, food, medical care, personal safety. Um, these are the kinds of items that fall under this emergency expense category. Immediate needs of life. Okay. Uh, th that makes sense to me. Um, what about uh, actually going about acquiring a Cal VCD application? How, how can our audience now, after listening to our conversation, how can they go about getting um, an application to submit? So there's many different ways to do it. Um, our website, victims.ca.gov, has an online application that someone can go in and fill out um, on their own. Um, they can call our customer service center, um, which is 1-800-777-9229, which is open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And if you have a victim witness um, center or a victim advocate, 
and you want to work with them, we encourage you to do that as well, and they will help you fill out your application. Does CalVCB make any accommodations for non-English speakers, non-native English speakers that are interested in applying uh, for the program? Absolutely. Our application is available in 16 different languages um, that can be downloaded from our website. We also will help um, non-English speakers through our customer service call line, the 1-800 number that I mentioned. Um, we can um, help, help with translation um, services as well. And um, how is Cal VCB funded? So the primary source of our funding is from restitution fines and orders and, and penalty assess assessments. Um, we also receive federal money from the Victims of Crime Act matching funds. Um, unfortunately, because um, the state restitution fund is, um, is in a deficit right now, we also receive some general fund money mm -hmm. to keep the program going. So if members of our audience have any questions um, or if they need assistance in either completing or submitting their application, uh, I know you mentioned some uh, of your uh, your contact number, your customer service contact number in your, your website. What's the best way to get a hold of uh, CalVCB? Again, we want to make it as easy for people as, as they want. So they can call us. They can email us. That's info at victims.ca.gov. Um, they can go onto our online website and apply through the online portal. That's an application process. Um, so, but and customer service staff are available to help them. Um, as I said, Monday through Friday. So that is, if you want to speak to somebody, that is the best way to do so. And for all of our listeners, we'll go ahead and make all of those um, methods of contact available in the description to the podcast. Have uh, now, Linda has Cal, have Cal VCB's services or, or its process been negatively impacted by uh, COVID nineteen? So I hope that our services that we provided haven't been negatively impacted. We did, as most people did, move to telework um, mm -hmm. when COVID nineteen took effect. Um, but we've made that transition, I would say, fairly smoothly. Our call center never shut down. We've continued to help victims throughout this entire time. We are, the number of applications we received has definitely dropped. Um, I believe, you know, unfortunately, uh, we all, well, everyone in the victim services community knows that, you know, we think that people just had a hard time accessing those services and might have been stuck in difficult situations. Mm -hmm. So we're continuing to do as much outreach as possible to make sure people know that we're here for them. And we continue to, we have started to see an uptick now in the applications almost back to our pre-COVID um, days. So we mm -hmm. hope that things are balancing out and people are, are recognizing that they, there is help out them, or there for them if they, if they need it. Linda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast here today. It was great to be with you. I really appreciate you reaching out to me and, and having the opportunity to tell people about all of the services that we provide for victims at CalVCB. Now that you've heard the show, please take a moment to rate and review it. And if you have any questions about any of the information you heard today, you can reach the Victims of Crime Resource Center at 1-800-842-8467. Or you can reach us online at 1-800-VICTIMS.org or Facebook at Victims of Crime Resource Center or Twitter at 1-800-VICTIMS. If you haven't had a chance, please take a look at some of the other episodes in our series. Thanks for listening.